So as Earl mentioned earlier, today begins Grace Church's week of prayer. So starting today, Saturday, and going through next Friday, we as a church are going to devote ourselves to prayer both individually and together with other groups of people. Now, you can find all the different prayer gatherings, the schedule for those gatherings, in the email that we sent out a few days ago, and it's also online. Go to events under prayer week. So some of these gatherings are going to be by Zoom, and some of them are going to be face-to-face but with social distancing. So lots of individual gatherings every day of the week when you can join in in prayer. We also want to encourage you to devote extra time by yourself to pray. Carve out extra time, maybe by devoting what would normally be television time or social media time, devoting that instead to, to prayer for this next week. Then on Friday, this coming Friday, we're going to call all of those who can, and not everybody can, but all those who can, to fast from food during that day, to fast and pray together as a church. So that Friday in the morning, we'll have our usual worship gathering by video, and in the afternoon, we're going to be having two different all-church prayer meetings by Zoom, one at 12.30, hour and a half until 2, and then the other one from 3 to 4.30. Those will be on different topics. Both of those will be different. So if you can come to both of those, do so. So we're devoting that day to prayer and fasting. And then at 6 o'clock that night, we'll meet at the Yaz Mall food court to have a dinner together, to break our fast together. Come whether you've been fasting or not. It's going to be a wonderful celebration together. So that's where we're going for this prayer week, which starts today. The elders are calling all of us to devote ourselves this coming week to prayer both individually and with others. And so the question I want to talk about this morning is, why? Why devote ourselves to prayer? And to answer that, let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. Amazing chapter, 1 Kings 8. 1 Kings chapter 8 through 10 describe the high point of the life of Israel. Through the whole Old Testament, 1 Kings 8 through 10 is the pinnacle of blessing that has come to Israel. God had promised way back that Israel would become a nation more than the sand on the seashore in size, and that has happened, not literally, but figuratively speaking. God told Abraham that Israel, this promised land, would reach from the border of Egypt all the way to the Euphrates River, the border of Babylon, and that has happened under Solomon's rule. God promised David that his son Solomon would build him a temple, build God a temple, and that temple has just been completed, and God has just filled that temple with such an overwhelming sense, presence of His glory that the, that the priests were overwhelmed and could not stand to, to minister as they usually would. So chapters 8 through 10 is the pinnacle of blessing that's come to Israel. After that, you can read ahead, things start to decline, sadly, but chapters 8 through 10, that's the pinnacle of it. And in chapter 8, Solomon prays. He leads all of God's people in prayer. And there's lots that we could teach from this passage, but as I studied this passage with our week of prayer in mind, I saw nine reasons for why we should be devoted to prayer. Nine reasons. Now, we're not expecting you to remember all nine of these, but my goal is that you'd walk away with one of these. They would like, yes, 
That's the one that I need. And Lord, help that one to move me and stir me and motivate me as I move into this week of prayer. So nine powerful reasons why we should be devoted to prayer from 1 Kings chapter 8. Let's dig in. The first reason is because God is a God of steadfast love. Look at verse 22. Start there. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenants and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. Now, notice that word covenants, very important word in the Bible. A covenant is like a, a, a written contract, a written contract. God is a covenant God. And so, for Israel, the nation of Israel, because of what the Messiah would do in the future, and for us New Testament believers, because of what Jesus the Messiah did in the past, God offers us a written contract. It's right there in the Bible. It's all through the Bible. He promises that He will pour out His steadfast love upon us, that from now forever we will have just this lavish outpouring of God's steadfast love upon us if we will walk before Him with all our hearts. What does that mean? Well, for New Testament believers, to walk before God with all of our hearts means that we are trusting Jesus to forgive all of our sins. It means that we're trusting all of His promises to us. It means that we're trusting His guidance, His counsel, His commands. It means that we are fighting temptation when we're tempted to walk away. And it means that we are repenting and confessing when we sin. And so God promises, you're walking before me with all your heart. Steadfast love is going to be poured out upon you, lavished upon you from now forever. That's your future. That's the God of steadfast love. And then in verses 24 through 26, Solomon talks about how God has shown steadfast love and how He will show steadfast love. Verse 24, you have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him, his promise, steadfast love. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. That's what God's done in the past. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, promises, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. So, God is a God who has been and will be a God of steadfast love to all who walk before Him with all their heart. Now, think of what this means for prayer. This is so important. This means that this week, when you turn to God in prayer, in Christ, in Jesus' name, relying on Jesus to be your forgiveness, be your righteousness, make you acceptable before the Father. Whenever you turn to God that way in prayer, God is responding to you with love. 
Love's coming. Welcome is coming from God. He's delighting in you when you turn to Him and pray, whether it's six in the morning or six in the evening or nine o'clock or midnight. Whenever you turn to God in Jesus' name and pray, He's responding to you with steadfast love. From the heart of God is flowing steadfast love toward you whenever you turn to God and pray. And doesn't that make you want to turn to God and pray? That's one reason. God is a God of steadfast love. Second reason, because God is bigger than any problem you face. That's verses 27 to 30. Now, Solomon had just built God a magnificent temple, but Solomon wanted to make sure that everybody understood that God is far bigger than this temple. This is not really where he lives. So look at what he says in verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. So God is bigger than the temple, but the temple was important. God wanted Israel to pray toward the temple. Look at all this in verses 28 through 30, how often that's repeated. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place, toward the temple, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, the temple, and listen in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. In the Old Testament, God wanted His people to pray towards this temple, towards Jerusalem. Remember, Pastor Elder Aaron shared about this last week, um, about Daniel praying towards Jerusalem. God wanted them to do that, and I think one of the reasons is because it reminded them that the reason they can come before God is because of the, what the animal sacrifices in the temple pictured of what the Messiah would do on the cross. So, pray toward the temple. Now that Jesus has come, we don't pray towards any temple. We don't pray towards Jerusalem. We don't pray in any particular direction, but we do pray in Jesus' name. For the same reason, because it reminds us, I can't come to God based on my own righteousness or my own goodness. I can only come to God based on the righteousness and the goodness of another, Jesus, God's Son, and His death, which is paid for all of my sin. So, God did want Israel to pray toward the temple, but Solomon wants to make sure they understand that God isn't limited to this temple. He doesn't live here. Not even the heavens and the highest heavens can contain God. God is bigger than the universe. So great, Anish, what you shared about how big the universe is this morning. So powerful. God is bigger than the universe. And here's the point. If God is bigger than the universe, then God is bigger than any problem you are facing. Right? Universe! problem, okay? If God's bigger than the universe, He's certainly bigger than that problem that you face. For example, 
God is bigger than the temptation you're battling right now. He's bigger than that. God is bigger than your doubts and unbelief. He's bigger than your worries. God is bigger than the unjust manager that you have or boss that you have. He's bigger. He's bigger. God's bigger than your wayward child who's breaking your heart. God's bigger than the difficult finances, the the slowdown in the economy, the difficult job market. God is bigger than any problem you ever face, which is why you should be devoted to praying about every concern, every need, every problem that you have, because God is bigger than that, which is why when you talk to Him, you're talking to the one who can totally control that. That's the second reason. God is bigger than any problem you face. Third reason we should pray, be devoted to prayer, is because God will help us when we don't know what to do. These next two verses are a little puzzling. Let me read them, and then I'll explain what's going on, see if it makes more sense. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, in the temple, then, Father, hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness." Now, in the Old Testament, you can read more about this in Exodus 22. If someone hurt you, stole from you, for example, and then lied about it, said, I didn't steal from him, not me, then that person could be taken before the temple, into the temple, and would swear an oath before God along these lines, God, if I've done wrong, strike me down. Bring your judgment upon me to show that I've done wrong, but if I haven't done wrong, then vindicate me. The person would pray that, and God would always answer that prayer, Exodus 22 promises. Even though the people don't know what, who did what or what happened, God knows, and God would show what happened by the way He responded to that prayer. Does that make sense? Now, we don't deal with conflicts that way in the New Testament. That's not how God is operating now. But this still illustrates something very important about God, which is a powerful motivation to prayer. Namely, that when we don't know what's going on, when we don't know the answers, when we don't have all the wisdom we need, God will give us the wisdom that we need. And that's promised explicitly in James chapter 1, verse 5. If you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to Him. God will always give us the wisdom we need. So think of times when you don't know what to do. And we all have lots of them, right? I bet you we've all got something right now where you, just, you don't know what to do. Like there's a problem at work. Or a friend has asked you for advice and you're not sure what to say. Maybe you've got a child-raising issue you're grappling with. Or you're unsure how to share the gospel with someone. In those situations, God wants you to ask Him for wisdom. And He promises to give you the wisdom that you need. That's a third reason, to be devoted to prayer. Fourth reason, this is beautiful, God immediately forgives those who repent before Him. This is crucial, because 
there may be times this coming week when you, uh, you know, it's prayer week, I should pray, but then you remember some sin that you've committed. Ever experienced this? So maybe you remember, oh man, I was boastful in that conversation I was having. Or you remember that, ah, I was timid. God gave me an opportunity to share the gospel. I didn't, I was too timid to do that. Or maybe you entertained some lustful thoughts or you became impatient in some circumstance. And at those moments, you can think, well, man, how can I pray? I just sinned, right? Isn't that how we think? I just prayed. How can I sin? I mean, how can I, excuse me, I just sinned. How can I pray right now? And the answer is this, God will immediately, immediately forgive you and welcome you the moment you turn to Him in prayer and confess your sin. Look at verses 33 and 34. Beautiful. When your people Israel are defeated before the enemy, because they have sinned against, because they've sinned against you, they're defeated because they've sinned against you, And if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers. And then verses 35 and 36, same truth, different scenario. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, If they pray toward this place, the temple, and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you've given your people as an inheritance. The fact that Solomon here says, God, when they turn and pray to you, forgive them, clearly means that when you do that, God will forgive us. That's the point of this prayer. So the situation is God's people have sinned, and either they've, the rain has stopped or an enemy has defeated them. So what should they do? Immediately turn to God. Immediately turn to God and pray and confess with all your heart and all your soul, with a broken and a contrite heart. And listen, here's the good news. The moment you turn back to God and say, I'm sorry, Before you even get the word sorry out of your mouth, he's running toward you like the prodigal son's father was running toward him, right? My daughter's back. My son's back, right? Running towards you. You can't even get the word sorry out of your mouth. It's like, yes. So why when we have sins do we pull back from God saying, man, I I need to do something good for somebody before I can get back into God's good graces, right? I should definitely go to church once before I start to try to pray again. Those kinds of things, right? No! Pray immediately, and God will forgive because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. We're saying, Father, for Jesus' sake, forgive me. And He's running toward us with joy and forgiveness. Isn't that a good reason to be devoted to prayer? Don't ever let sin keep you from praying. Fifth reason. This is such good news also. When we pray about trials, God will always help us. Always. How many of you, don't, don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you, when trials come, you pull back from God? Either because you think, God's mad at me, or because you're mad at God, right? None of those should happen. Listen to this passage, verses 37 to 40. It's got this long list of trials. 
If there is a famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, those are bad because this was an agricultural society, okay? If their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, then listen, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people, Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hands toward this house, then, Father, hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Whenever we face a trial, we shouldn't pull back from God. We should press into God and say, help, help me, Father, help. And God will always, always help. He might remove the trial entirely from you. Like when the church was praying for Peter when he was in prison and an angel came and Peter was released from prison. So God might remove that trial from you. Or God might meet you in that trial, pour out great blessing upon you in that trial, like when Paul prayed about his thorn in the flesh being removed and God spoke to him. Amazing words saying, Paul, I am going to give you an even greater experience of Jesus' grace and power with this thorn in the flesh. And so Paul said, therefore, I boast all the more gladly of my difficulties because when I'm weak in difficulties, I'm experiencing more of the joy of Christ's strength filling my heart. So God can either remove the trial or meet you in the trial, but nothing will ever stay the same about the trial when you pray about the trial. Do you feel that? Now, you're all going through trials, aren't you? Some are big, some are small. We've all got trials. If you don't, wait a couple more minutes, okay? We've all got trials. Pray about them. God will always, always work. Sixth reason, because God hears the prayers of every race and culture. Verses 41 to 43. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes to Jerusalem from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name, the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and your mighty hand, and of your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, okay, remember the coming, the praying toward this house, picture of the sacrifices, what the Messiah would do, they're, they understand who they're praying to, this God, then, verse 43, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. In the Old Testament, God's heart was not just for the racial people of Israel. Remember, Ruth from Moab became part of the people of Israel. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, a foreigner, became part of the people of Israel. So his heart was not just for the people of Israel. His heart has always been for every nation, tongue, and tribe. God created 
every nation, tongue, and tribe. God loves every nation, tongue, and tribe. And so when anyone from any nation, tongue, and tribe turns and prays to God in Jesus' name, God welcomes them. And so when you pray to God in Jesus' name, whatever your nation, tongue, and tribe, God's arms are open wide, and He's welcoming you. Isn't that, that's just the best news in the world. All of us, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. There He is, steadfast love running toward us with everything that we need. That's our God, every nation, tongue, and tribe. Seventh reason to be devoted to prayer. Because even when God calls us to do something, He still wants us to pray about it, and He will answer us. Look at verses 44 and 45. If your people go out to battle against their enemy, by whatever way you shall send them, so so God has sent them out to battle, and they pray to the Lord toward the city that you have chosen and the house that I've built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. So God still wants them to pray. He has sent them into battle, but He still wants them to pray, and as they pray, God will maintain their cause. Now, the same is true with us. God has called you to work your job, right? He's he's called you to work your job, but He still wants you to pray about it. And as you do, He will work. God has called you to be married, okay? But He still wants you to, to pray about your marriage. Father, strengthen our marriage. Bless our love for each other. Protect our marriage. He still wants you to pray about your marriage, and He will maintain your cause. God has caused you to raise your children. He's called you to do that but He wants you to be praying about that. All the different things that God has called us to do, we shouldn't say, well, God's called us to do them, so I don't need to pray about it. No, He still wants you to pray about it, and as you pray about it, He will work. So even when God has called you to do something, He wants you to pray about it, and He will answer. He will work. Another reason to be devoted to prayer. About everything you're involved in doing, pray about it. Eighth reason. Have you found one yet that's really gripping your heart? Okay? You can't remember all these, but but latch on to one is what I'm praying God will do. But here's number eight, very powerful and very sobering. Because even when our sin brings God's discipline, He will forgive us when we repent before Him. Verse 46, if they sin against you, Israel, talking about Israel, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet, if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and repent, and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned, Father, and acted perversely and wickedly, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive, And pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I've built for your name. Then, verse 49, hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. 
and all their transgressions, all their transgressions that they have committed against you, and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people, Father, and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. There are times when we sin and we know God's disciplining us, right? You're not sensing His presence. You may be feeling the the conviction of the Holy Spirit, or like the psalmist says, God's hand is heavy upon you, fuller, okay? God's hand, loving, but right? There's times where we sin and we know that God is, is disciplining us. And at those times we can think, okay, wow, I've, I've really sinned way too much to pray, right? I'm too far gone to pray. It's probably just too late for me to pray, right? Not true. Not true. Do you see these verses? If we will repent and come to the Father in Jesus' name with all our heart and all our soul, God will forgive us and lift the discipline and grant compassion to us, just like He promises here. So, that's the eighth reason to be devoted to prayer. Doesn't that motivate you? Even if our sin brings God's discipline, He will forgive us for Jesus' sake when we pray and repent before Him. Okay, last reason. Number nine. It's because God's love assures us that He will respond to our prayers. Verses 52 and 53, Father, let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant, me, Solomon, and to the plea of your people, Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. For, here's why, you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth, to be your heritage, as you declared through Moses, your servant, when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. Now, it's convenient that this passage ends talking about how God delivered Israel from Egypt, because next week, we're starting a new sermon series on the book of Exodus. We're going to be talking about how God delivered Israel from Egypt, looking forward to that very much. But Solomon's point here is that God has shown Israel how much He loves them by delivering them. They were slaves in Egypt, horrifying oppression, and with powerful signs and wonders and plagues, God delivered His people. Remember parting the Red Sea, bringing it back again? Amazing display of God's powerful love. And so, therefore, they could be confident if God did that for them, He will answer their prayers. And the same is true with us, even more so. We were slaves in sin dead in sin, enemies to God, not wanting God. And God, while we were His enemies, He sent Jesus, gave His own Son up to the cross, His own Son to the cross. Our sin took that high of a price because our sin was that wicked. It took that price, the price of His Son's suffering on the cross, and God delivered Him up to the cross because He loves us that much. And so, look at the cross and be confident God loves you, which means He will always respond when you pray. 
And as I like to say, that means He will always give us either exactly what we're asking for or something which is even better because it's going to bring us more of Him. Either exactly what we're asking for or something which is even better. One of the reasons it's even better is because it'll always bring us more of Him, and nothing's better than Him. So you can be absolutely confident that's what God is going to do. That's the ninth reason. God's love assures us that He will respond to our prayers. Okay, so Grace Church, the elders are calling us to give ourselves to prayer this week, individual prayer, and to go out of our way to meet with others to, to pray. Let's devote ourselves to prayer this week. Let's pour our souls out before the Lord. Nine reasons. Quick recap. Because God is a God of steadfast love. Second, He's bigger than any problem you face. Third, He will help us when we don't know what to do and we call out to Him. Fourth, He immediately forgives those who confess and repent. So immediately turn to God when you've seen you've sinned. When we pray about trials, God will always help. That's fifth. Sixth, He hears the prayers of every nation, tongue, and tribe. That's all of us here. Seventh, when He calls us to do something, He still wants us to pray about it, and He will work when we do. Eighth, even when our sin brings God's discipline, still, the moment you confess and come to Him in Jesus' name, complete forgiveness and compassion. And ninth, because God's love assures us that He will always hear and respond to our prayers. Let's stand together. And I want to pray this for us.